0: Welcome to meet the operators.
1: I'm usually asking people about what what gets them so psyched that they jump out of their chair, right? Or what gets them so sort of angry? And what I want to see in that is I want to see passion. I want to see fight, mm. um, and, and, and sort of not the rhetorical or the, the sort of maybe overplayed question of tell me about a time you struggled or whatever else. Mm. But I want to see fight, mm. and I want to see struggle. Uh, and I think that comes out in your posture. Mm. I think it comes out in your tone. I think it comes out in, in um, the way that people um, answer other questions beyond their words and the way they answer the questions so it's an intangible yeah. all right here we go jason spiro welcome to meet the operators uh, thanks for having me flattered to be a part of it oh absolutely
0: man we, we go we go back a long ways in mobile uh maybe back to your digital chocolate days
1: yeah yeah it's been a while. uh yeah, we met a ways back, and I've, I've appreciated the different the evolution of our interaction uh, from sort of vendor and sort of competitor, but always could get together and talk about where the hell this thing was going. That's right. Um, through sort of staying in touch as we both evolved and, and all that. So I appreciate seeing you again. Yeah. Well, congrats on all the success. Thank you. Before we before we
0: dive into the you know scaling and growth questions on mobile, which I know people are very interested in, would love to learn you know uh, some stuff about you that maybe is not on your resume.
1: Uh, okay. So let's start with uh, favorite comfort food? Favorite comfort food, and I'll tell you even a little more uh, on the back of this, is, is I will go for a bowl of chili uh, uh, just about anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and my, my fun one that I will add to that, which you, you can decide if it makes it into the story, is I am now an award-winning chili cook. Uh, <laughs> and I can take so little credit for it, but my buddy Scott um, lives in Sausalito and has participated in the Sausalito chili cook-off for years, nice. and uh, I joined him last year And we took a I think we took a second and a third and some things But this year we took two firsts and a second in the Sausalito chili Cookoff up against some professional chefs. Damn. And there are like 17 entrants and whatever else. So I am a uh,
0: okay. What is what is the secret ingredient? You don't uh, tell me how you make it I
1: think uh please. So everything's cooked on site. The one thing I'll say is Scott does a lot of roasting and crushing of peppers ahead. Okay. And then he would tell you that he also puts some unsweetened cocoa in, which gives it a little bit of that mole-late sweetness, mm. so it's not just pure spice. Mm. Okay. But, again, I think I've probably given the Colonel secret recipe. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit too much
0: info than you should have. That's okay. Uh, what's the best book that
1: you've read recently? Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I let the record show that I'm reaching under. I'm a big Tom Friedman fan, um, and, and I've read a bunch. I, I just finished That Used to Be Us by, by Friedman and Mandelbaum. I haven't read it. Um, I like Hot, Flat, and Crowd and a bunch of that. Um, I'm, I'm also a Game of Thrones fan. You and I were talking yeah. about that a little bit before. So I try to alternate um, one... Uh, uh, one sort of serious book that, that makes me smarter and better and whatever, and yeah. something frivolous that lets me escape a little. Bit. I, I got this is going to date myself a little bit, but I the, I think. Are yeah, you of have the, a kid? What are you doing to I, reading? <laughs> you fun yeah, fun.
0: exactly. Uh, I let him sleep on me, and I pull out my Kindle. All right. Uh, but I think one of the first serious books I ever read was from Beirut to Jerusalem. Oh yeah. Right. Uh,
1: that was, and I was like, wow, okay, like there's good nonfiction. Yeah. I, I was young at the time. But. So in that, if you like that, I would recommend also, and I'm going to forget the author's name, but he's a Jerusalem Post guy. There's a, a great book about a girl called uh, My Promise. Land, mm. which is brilliant. So cool. I would say even before the Freeman stuff, okay. check it out. All
0: right, we'll go check it out. Uh, growing up as a kid, did you have a superhero that you aspired to be? Oh,
1: man. Taking me back. I always liked, and I'm not going to be able to come up with exactly which one, but I was never the sort of mainstream super. I wasn't the Batman, Superman, up okay. the middle ones. I always, for some reason, dug on like... Aquaman, or Green Lantern, some nice. of those are just around the edges, Yeah. and you know, if you ever watch Super Friends in the mornings on Saturdays, you remember, oh, they, yeah. they weren't in every episode, but when they were there, you were so fired up, <laughs> so I'll go with Green Lantern. Okay, cool. I'm not sure they're making movies about Green Lantern. Uh, no, oh, yeah, they, they, I think they
0: had a Ryan Ryan Reynolds movie, Did but they? I don't think it was very good. Right. Uh, okay, if you could have any historical figure at your dinner table, who would it be? Wow.
1: Historical figure. I would love in his heyday to, have and I'm sure this will seem shallow, um, I think I've got two people on my mind, but, but thinking about uh, Muhammad Ali uh-huh. and thinking about what Muhammad Ali dealt with in the 60s um, on, on both sides of the race issues and being an outspoken African American man when that wasn't cool and yeah. he didn't want to play that traditional role of being the villain that everybody wanted him to play. Um, and just the amount of change that man saw through uh, I'm gonna go with Muhammad Ali, I'd like to sit down. I like that, that'd be very cool. Yeah, I mean, if you look back at some of his interviews now, it was very current to what has been going on with Ferguson and everything else, right? so far out in front of uh, uh, facing the vision, he got put into that situation, he didn't even go looking for it either, and I think responded to it, and, and touched on Nation of Islam and a lot of things that that are relevant. Um, I'm sure I could have picked a uh, more high-potent historical figure. But I <laughs> no, I, think I, like it. would, I think I would enjoy that dinner. Yeah,
0: that would be a fun dinner. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about your uh, experience in terms of scaling companies, mobile, and growth. So. Uh, obviously, we've known each other for a while, but AdMob was a was a company that you joined super early on, scaled that to its uh, you know very successful exit by Google. Can you just tell us what what was it like in the in the early days of AdMob? Give
1: me some color, of kind of when you joined, what the company was like, what was happening. So I, the best way I can tell you that is is I walked in my first day, 27th something employee. Um, and those people that remember AdMob remember that it was not a place that was very frivolous in terms of a lot of things. And I walked in thinking, I'm the CMO of AdMob, this is going to be cool, it's a Sequoia company, this is going to be great. And they handed me a box that had my desk in it. And my <laughs> first day, I assembled my desk. Nice. Um, and I think that was a that was a, a metaphor, although I wouldn't have known at the time, for what AdMob was. Is we were reading the instructions, sometimes there weren't any instructions. We were putting it together, and, and you will remember that there wasn't a playbook in um, in mobile. And so I think what was fun about it was there was a huge opening up from you will remember the operator, the carrier centric world, mm-hmm. to more of a media business model, away from the walled garden. And and uh, many companies were there. We were lucky enough to be there at that moment um, and had the had the inventory and had a lot of people that were passionate about what you could get from a header and the information that you can use to to try to help a marketer and understand what what a, a user might respond to in that mm-hmm. moment. Um, and so we grew up really quickly. Um, when we started, again, you will remember, we were talking about Motorola devices, and a high-end device was a was a, was a BlackBerry, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, there were a lot of razors in our in our network, <laughs> and um, the experience was limited. And, and so we all remember the sort of big bang moment uh, when the iPhone launched, uh, and then the App Store launched, and the things that happened on that. And so what I would say more than any technology was having a group of people that cared about the same problem, uh, the same opportunity, that were reacting and also hopefully leading a little bit mm. um, in the market. Um, we didn't know what an ad looked like in mobile. We didn't know how people wanted to buy that, price that, track that, target that. And we learned as we went, as did many others. Um, and so I think that, that I have a very warm pl- place in my heart for the figure-it-out time from 07 um, um, through 09 probably. After that, it became a scaling problem. Mm-hmm. There's a lot still to learn, um, but I have I have great memories of that time. What What do you think it was about the looking back the culture at AdMob that allowed
0: you guys to learn and then to scale? Was Was it something that was conscious at the time, or now looking back,
1: was it mm-hmm. was it some, a confluence of things? How, how do you think about it? Wow, I gotta I gotta think. I guess there are a couple things that, that trigger for me is that. Uh, from our CEO was a very very humble guy. Down our founder, if we had a single founder who you'll remember, Omar is a uh, an understated guy. Yeah, fantastic a, guy. A yeah. curious human being, mm-hmm. um, but a very focused human being. And I think that the the company was built in his image. So I gave him a lot of credit for that. Um, we also had a head of sales who, who taught me the phrase um, focus on the second sale. Mm. And I think culturally at AdMob, we weren't about getting that big buy and convincing people that we thought we knew better. Uh, hopefully we were competitive but we, we wanted to work with the customer to understand as we shaped this thing what was going to work for them. And there was a hopefully a little bit of a humble culture combined with a listening culture mm-hmm. uh, and that curiosity that led us to some of that. And I think we also weren't so um, proud to think that we couldn't learn from other models. And so we were students of watching what had worked at DoubleClick, students of watching what had worked at uh, any number of other places, um, you know, and, and also I think had a lot of um, the le- leadership had come uh, uh, from a bunch of different places, so you had minds from Google, minds from Yahoo, minds from a bunch of different places that came together and brought different perspectives on things, and we all listened to each other really well.
0: Mm. Obviously, that kind of starts at the top, right, and, and, the, and then goes down to the rest of the company. Do you, you do you remember any um, any opportunities where uh, you know you would have an opportunity to kind of listen into the whole company? How did you think about making sure everyone?
1: every employee kind of felt that their voice was heard. Did you you guys do that? Well, we did. It it got harder as we got bigger, as you'd imagine. But um, what I think we kept, and you needed a bigger and bigger room as it happened. (laughs) Luckily, the building we were in was pretty decrepit, and we were able to keep taking over other space. Um, We had every Friday afternoon meeting. Uh, And and we had a lot of culture that hung off that is, is, you know, we celebrated our wins and we had a gong Mm -hmm. that we would ring for engineering shipping or for customer service hitting a benchmark or for uh, sales hitting a big goal or a particular deal or something that was hard to crack or Mm -hmm. even a big hire. Mm Um, and so there was a culture of everybody wanted to stick around Friday evening at 5, 5.30 or whatever it is, somebody would crank some music and we'd all gather before we took off for the weekend. And that was that was the stand-up where people would share and it was open-ended. Mm. Omar would talk last in that meeting as I remember it. Um, but everybody had an opportunity to stand up to any individual and, and talk. I don't remember it being a I've got a great idea meeting, mm. but I think that, that that format is indicative of a culture where the idea is not going to always come from somebody who has a senior title in the organization yep. and people can stand up and say, this is what happened this week and this is why it's important to us and uh, um, uh, and share that with everybody in one spot. You guys had to scale very quickly, right, in terms of hiring, right, at the company. I, I don't remember how big Not necessarily was. by 2015 terms, but I think <laughs> by, by 2007, eight, nine <laughs> terms it felt really fast. Right. I think uh, it would have been controlled by today's terms. Yeah,
0: now it would have just been normal. That's right? Right. Um, as you thought about hiring out building out your team you know, what do you you look for in individuals? What are are some of the, obviously there's the resume and all that,
1: but are there character traits that that you tend to, you know, tend to focus on more than others? I I think in addition to all the normal things that you look for, which is domain expertise and functional expertise and uh, and, and a little bit of fight in them, um, I always want to see passion. I don't care, I'm not, you know, my last three or four questions in an interview have nothing to do with the job. Hmm. I'm usually asking people about what, what gets them so psyched that they jump out of their chair right or what gets them so sort of angry and what i want to see in that is i want to see passion i want to see fight Mm. um and 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 sort of not the rhetorical or the the sort of maybe overplayed question of tell me about a time you struggled or whatever else Mm. but i want to see fight Mm. and i want to see struggle Uh, and i think that comes out in your posture Mm. i think it comes out in your tone i think it comes out in in um the way that people um answer other questions beyond their words and the way they answer the questions. So it's an intangible. Um, I will say I learned it from Cheryl Dalrymple, who's our CFO, who I thought had x-ray vision to people's character and soul and all these kinds of things. Um, And and I watched the way Cheryl interviewed and the feedback that she gave. uh, And and I studied. And I I had to practice as an interviewer. I used to want to just have a conversation with somebody and I wasn't mentally evaluating. Mm. I do think it's a practice to interview. And I think that I had mentors and I would encourage anybody who's who is managing for the first time, not had a lot of hiring experience, to seek out people who are great interviewers. Um, It's not about the questions you ask, although that's important. It's about the the read on people and then getting the group that interviewed together and and understanding how those people are interviewers and what they're looking for um, and having that post-mortem and being a learning organization. Um, so, yeah, long answer to your question, but I think the short answer is I'm looking for some fight yeah. uh, and some desire. Do you,
0: do you have any kind of tweaks that you make uh, that you think about kind of specially as part of your hiring process for people? Is there, is there anything that stands out to you that you've kind of brought with you through the years?
1: Um, <laughs> I... I I think I'm, I'm evolving as I go. I think I'm probably getting a little better at spotting it. Mm. Um, I think that I do think that I need to meet people. It's hard to look at someone's resume and be like, that's the person, yeah. right? Yep. Um, yep. And, and you certainly also don't want to, you know, it's easy for someone to walk in and talk about the growth at a company they worked at and all that. Uh, I really try to get to people's, you know, logic behind a decision. Mm. In an interview, I'm less interested that you grew something from X to Y, uh, although that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to understand how you made a decision. I want the anatomy of a big call you need to make mm-hmm. on your road when you were, you know, sort of growing, and how you made that call and what you brought, what data you sought out, you know, if you had to talk to experts how you did that, I want to get deep on the anatomy of that. Mm-hmm. I'm less interested in the stop start at the bottom of your resume, work your way up and tell me how you got right here. Yeah. I want to understand how you make decisions. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard it framed that way. I mean so breaking down basically not what was the was it the right result or the wrong result? But basically, is the process getting the the right one, right? Or or how are you thinking critically about the way? That's exactly do it? right. Okay, that's interesting. So you fast forward that to to today. I mean, it was uh, obviously when the acquisition by Google. What are are there changes that you think you've had to make now going from AdMob to now Google and running, you know, a huge team? You've got two business cards and. <laughs> that's not <kind laughs> supposed to share that. Uh,
1: I guess I'd make a couple observations. Uh, is my instinct when when we sold uh, and, and all the sort of fun things that go with that was how quickly can I get back and do it again? Mm-hmm. Um, my first instinct was that I like many of the things that happen in entrepreneurial environments, but I made a conscious decision um, that I wanted to develop the ability to operate in a bigger organization. Um, smaller companies are often command and control environment. By that, I mean, if the senior-most or a near-senior-most person makes a call, the org is going to sometimes ask some questions in private, but mostly that goes and, and you go because there's one or two or maybe three products. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a lot of conflict in what the company's mission is and what they're trying to get done. I, I thought I would grow by doing something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so personally, I, I took coming to Google and and all the different things in Google's uh, um, uh, repertoire or, or, or stable um, uh, and, and the... And the, the Need to be successful at Google to be able to uh, work across organizational lines to be able to do things with regional organizations. We got more people in Indonesia than we ever would have had at, at AdMob, um, and uh, that was growth for me. And I consciously chose that, so that was that was cool. What I will also say is, uh, I think I've been very lucky with mobile in that I've caught the same wave—a little bad surfing metaphor—but I've caught the same wave multiple times. Mm. Is that we certainly caught it at AdMob. Uh, as you guys did as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I got to Google right at a time that all of Google's consumer-facing properties were starting to show the trend lines that said that this was a macro trend. Yeah. We saw it in YouTube. Um, although I don't know that we were as articulate about it at the time. <laughs> but we saw it in YouTube. We certainly saw it in search. We saw it across all the places in maps that we touched the customer with the penetration of smartphones and all of that. We saw the curves that now are, are sort of part of the history lesson. Mm-hmm. But while we were in it, there weren't that many people that came in and could speak about what you do about that. Right. How to take a, a customer base and educate them. How to take a product set and try to pivot it. And how to take an org, which was built to scale desktop things, particularly search. At that, at that point in time, the, when you joined, was mobile cross-functional across a bunch of different It systems, wasn't, or was. It was specialists. It was specialists. So oh, okay. um, within the business org that I, that I joined, um, I, I was asked to lead a mobile sales org. And mm-hmm. first we sold search and display, which were big enough businesses. Asked to think about YouTube. Asked to think about... Uh, eventually the double-click stack and analytics and other things for mobile. And we grew up for a while as a mobile team within Google that was called in when there was a mobile conversation. Mm-hmm. But there was this ongoing dialogue about how that balanced with the larger sales org that it became pretty apparent that we needed to to get out of the specialist model and every single human being in the sales org, and for that matter, in product and marketing and everywhere else, needed to first have a cross-functional uh, 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 Approach and ultimately needed to lead with mobile, and so that was a multiple year journey. I'm not gonna say we did that overnight. And was that was layered? Conscious. Was that layered against uh, what the customers were asking for in
0: terms of was it moving from? You know, had they gone out of an experimental budget or were they still doing? I guess I mean, we had
1: gone we gotten beyond experimental budget, but we were ahead of our customers. And, okay. and I think one of the things that was hard, and I appreciate the leadership that people like Sridhar Ramaswamy and Nikesh provided, is that we started pivoting our products. Um, I'd say, really hard pivot four plus years ago. Um, and I can talk about some of those as some examples if it's of interest, but that was before our customers were asking for it. Mm-hmm. it had gotten, we'd gotten out of experimental budgets and display, and search it was a big business by that point. But it was a big business as an upsell on a display, uh, sorry, a desktop business. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think the hard part was we had to make some calls, and I really give a lot of that to our and Susan and others who made that call before we were seeing customers try to pull that through. And before we were seeing customers really understand what to do with a click, a click was arriving, and I won't say a name, because, but pretty much all of our customers didn't know what to do with that click, what to target, what to measure, Mm -hmm. and all that. And so the, the four to five years since have been about building... You know, I think the world knows app install as mobile, but there's so much more. Mobile is going to be this massive commerce platform. Mm-hmm. Mobile is going to be this massive intersection with the physical world. That's the place where the digital intersects the physical. Um, we know that it's a multi-device journey. And so we're, I'd say, more, well more than four years into building the products to help enable customers on that. But when we started, nobody was asking for it. Does the... Does the overall
0: scope of the scale ever terrify you in the sense that like at at admob and you know digital chocolate and, and before that you know if you were scaling something you were scaling it. I'm you know, just making up a number here, from say a 10 million to 100 million dollar business. Now you you know tack on a couple zeros, right? How, how do you deal with that? Is it just more people? Is it more efficiency? Better? I like, think there's a that? lot of
1: things in that. I think the first is um, it's the frog in the boiling water, right? If you had taken me out of AdMob and dropped me in my current job, I would have flailed. Yeah. But I think there is a there is a there's an approach and a process and a lot of things you learn by working within Google that allowed me to grow as a person mm. um, by observing different leaders. Okay. Uh, and I would call it a guy named Karim Temsamani who taught me about leading with influence as opposed to necessarily that command and control okay. authority. Let's unpack that a little bit. I, so what do you mean by that? Le- leading with influence? What so is- Google is a functional organization. Okay. Um, I was general manager at AdMob. I had, I don't know, sales, marketing, BD, PR, all those things, you remember. Um, and that allows you to be tightly coordinated through authority. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was a big transition for me in, in landing, and I think part of my growth, was I got here and all of a sudden I had functional pieces. I had a sales organization. I had a marketing organization that supported me, but they didn't report to me. Mm. I had a comms organization that reported the greater Google comms org, and that is something you need in org our size because you can't have 19 comms orgs. You need a comms org. Um, And so the the ability to pull people around the table who are are buying into your ideas or not buying into your ideas, but who you're not telling them to do it because they work for you, Mm. is a very different skill set. And that means, and I think this is central to Google culture, is you always have to bring data. You always have to state your assumptions. You always have to explain your logic, as opposed to the I told you so. And anybody who's a parent um, can can resort to I told you so, but that should be your last resort. And I think as a manager, as I grew as a manager, First, managing a couple people, then more, and then at AdMob my in the region. I'm not saying I leaned on "I told you so," but that it was implicit in a lot of what I did. It doesn't work here, mm. right? Is you're leading here on the quality of your ideas uh, and on your your track record of being right or wrong. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a skill that I had to first identify that I needed, and then ultimately invest in. But I think it's part of what makes us stronger. It comes back to your idea about um, where the good ideas come from. It doesn't always come top down. It comes from, and you got to be able to recognize those and have a debate. Um, and so it takes some courage, but junior people can call out the ideas that the assumptions are wrong here. And so I had to think about how to state my assumptions, try to get by, and if I didn't get by and work with the managers the people I needed to, and ultimately if they disagreed and I lost on that one, get on board and go forward. That is a very different skill set than you have in an entrepreneurial environment. It can take a tiny bit longer, uh, or sometimes more than a tiny bit longer <laughs> than a startup. but in the end I think we make better decisions. So. I mean, there's a lot of lessons, actually, I think, from
0: the influence argument that can be brought back to startups, right? Which is probably the majority of the audience is listening to this and, being, and trying to figure out, okay, I mean, well, how do I apply this to, to what I'm doing in my startup yeah. and, and growing my skills? So when you think about the data as an example that people have to bring back, what is the output function, right, That that uh, is, is how data is judged? Is it... Profitability? Is it growth? Is it users? Is it I think that
1: I think does it depend on the product? I think it's company to company product, to product. But what I would say is, to your macro point, I think influence is, is important. I didn't know it as much, or I wasn't as conscious of it in my in my entrepreneurial environments. But I think leading a team through influence is so much more powerful because if you can get them with influence, you never have to use your authority, and that is soft power or whatever mm-hmm. the heck you're going to call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can reserve that. Hey, I made this call. We're going to go, but. To the extent that you can get buy-in, people are going to work harder for you than if they're told to do it. So that should be a lesson to anybody, large company or small, is invest that time to let your team know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. There are going to be times you're going to need to say, you know what, we're expanding to the U.K., right? And maybe you don't necessarily explain it to them. Or you do explain it to them, but but you're in a rush and you do it quick. But I think the more you invest in your team, understanding your rationale, the better you are. To your question about data... Sometimes startups are hampered because it's, you know, one of the benefits of Google is you can get the data out of the system. We're set up to do that. And in the later year, of that last year or so of AdMob, we were pretty structured with our data. But sometimes it's hard to get the, you know, the, the, you haven't taken the time to stop and build the tools <laughs> to put the data structured way and get it out. So sometimes you're going on the best data you got. But I think in any situation, the ability to come and say, these are the one, two, three metrics that matter to us that we're going to check in on monthly, it creates simplicity and focus in a team. Uh, I don't know if that stopped or not. No, no, you're good. So I think the ability to say to the team, look, it's about, this year is about depth. We want to increase our average, whatever it is with a customer. Or hey, this year is about we want to double the number of customers. Or this year is about upping our customer satisfaction score. Or this year is about, you know, doubling the, the, the revenue per salesperson. So this would be the objective in an OKR. Yes. Okay. I would work backward. I mean, the data can, to, to make a decision doesn't have to be about the OKR. Mm-hmm. But I think managing through numbers and stating the goals and then the drivers of those goals, is, as deep as you can get into that, mm-hmm. is, is critical. I think what I was talking about earlier is just any decision. Are we going left? Are we going right? Do we put our resource against this or that? To the extent that that can be a data-driven conversation as opposed to a gut conversation or a gut call, um, I think it's more powerful and I think you get better by it. How, how
0: would you, so a lot of the, a lot of the companies that, that I work with and that, that, that I talk to, they're trying to figure out how to basically implement some slimmed-down version of OKRs for their mm-hmm. teams. If you were going to do it all over again at AdMob or in, in any of your previous endeavors, how, how would you go about kind of a, a slimmer process yeah. around OKRs for a company? Yeah, well, maybe let's take a step back. What did you guys do with AdMob? Was it a
1: quarterly uh, thing? I or think we a... did a six month thing, and yeah. I don't know that we were as rigorous as I would have liked to. But okay. I think it can be very simplifying. I think um, if I did it over, I would start from the top of the organization. And I think if the top of the org says this year is about this, mm-hmm. and, and that can't be six things, certainly in a one or 200 person organization, mm-hmm. it's about this. And then everything should waterfall from that. Plus, that's leading by example. And you're going to update people on how you're doing against that. Yep. And then everybody in the org, down to the individual contributors, should be able to relate what they are doing. I'm in customer support, and I'm trying to um, up my my CSAT or up double the number of calls I can take or build a tool or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. All of that should relate back to the goal that the CEO is setting. Mm-hmm. And the CEO should should get the buy-in from the board, and that should help with board management as well. <laughs> uh, and obviously, as a board member, I'm sure you'll like that. But what I'd say is, don't try to hang lots of these. Customers should, uh, sorry, uh, employees should propose their own. Uh, uh, once they see, it, you give them some time mm-hmm. to waterfall down, but you always go top down. Mm-hmm. And if it gets to the point where it's confusing things, you're doing it wrong. It needs to be a simplifying thing. Certainly, there are other things that you do, but to the extent that everyone sees their part in it, it's going to force the right conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, that's good. That's really good. Let's let's
0: take it back to the to the industry for a moment. All so. Right you've seen mobile again through its many different evolutions what what uh, gets you excited and jumping out of bed in, in the morning
1: for mobile and, and and then also where Google is going in mobile so I uh, I guess I'd say a couple things I think the the amazing thing about where we are is we're in this virtuous cycle of Better networks, better faster networks, better devices, and tons of great smart people building stuff to do with those devices. And I think we've been living in that since the launch of the iPhone, roughly 2007 or the App Store a little bit later. And what I would say is, first of all, that's a pretty long virtuous cycle. We're eight years into it, and I don't see any sign of that slowing down. So all of that leads to more consumption, more activity, more utility, more curiosity, and all of that. And then you layer on top of that the... um, Micro virtuous cycle of um, all the rapid agile learning we're getting about customer experience, right? So when you see somebody nailing the experience, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, Uber setting the bar on um, a lot of what people want in local and utilizing maps and utilizing. Uh, payment and all of that and then just a ton of companies coming in behind that you got zeal massage who will send the massage therapist and utilize the downtime and all that who's doing the same the same thing I think we're learning from one another and so I think you've got this really fun virtuous cycle going on Um, the consumer we're all chasing this change in consumer behavior I think it creates entrepreneurial opportunities I think we see much more investment on the part of Google's sort of Fortune 1000 customers, mm. and that adds to the experience when it's a great Hilton Hotels experience, when it's a great Southwest Airlines or Barclays Bank experience. That then is more I can do with my device, and I want to spend more time on it, and that's that virtuous cycle. So I think that what has held the industry back, which is implicit in your question, I think is now getting addressed, is that the, the, the business models have um, at times been limited for a bunch of measurement issues. For a while, we knew that we could drive app install, and a lot of people did app install, Mm -hmm. and that was the business model. That supported a lot of really nice businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, I think on top of that, you now have an on-demand economy with virtual goods and and a bunch of goods where people are happy to have that payment credential stored, uh, and, and my Grubhub food shows up, right? And that's great. What you're starting to see is Um, the massive commercial impact that mobile has on the broad range of companies that weren't born in mobile. That's that Hertz Mm. experience, that's that um, researching something on target and then walking into the store. We're starting to have the measurement tools and this is, as I said, one of the things I'm most proud about that what we've invested in Google is building the fundamental understanding of consumer behavior and the ability to track and target and measure and engage that customer um, is going to unlock um, massive ad dollars. And we're already seeing that across search and YouTube and display here. You see that across other places in the market. And so I think that that dollars and euros and yen that are going to flow into this market, and certainly yuan as well, that are going to flow into this market, I think are going to only catalyze this virtuous cycle. And if I can ramble on just a little no, bit further, I think you then have layered on top of that the next billion users. Right? You have a whole range of people who have not had digital connectivity in their life. And the driving down of the cost of the devices and the driving up of coverage of connectivity um, in Brazil, in India, in China is going to bring a billion people online that weren't online previously. And I'm not just talking about the kid... As a mobile-first experience. Absolutely, as a mobile-first experience. Right? Right? A mobile they not even have a desktop. And those people, because of bandwidth and because of maybe lack of penetration of credit card, are going to have entirely different service needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're going to get much more innovation. You already see sort of the union of... Um, cash on delivery and mobile, which is sort of two things that you know, I'm not sure two years ago I would have said, <laughs> or buy online and pick up in store. And we see so much innovation because of those next billion users. And something we're really passionate about, you're going to have to build different technologies for them because bandwidth is expensive in some of those markets and GDP is lower and so people can't spend as much and all of that. But I think you've got catalysts everywhere. If I were to try to bring this rambling answer back together, I would say you already have a virtuous cycle that is fueling opportunity all over the place. Um, Independent of all evaluations and all that, that virtuous cycle is sort of uh, the pace and force of that is unlike anything that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And you're layering on top of that any number of catalysts, right? I think that's really exciting. The fundamental thing that got me into mobile in the first place was that I think my life's different when I'm connected everywhere that I go. And I'm starting to see, or I'm not starting, I'm continuing to see that hypothesis bear fruit everywhere I go. It's an amazing time that we live in. As we wrap up,
0: if you're thinking about mentoring the next great generation of entrepreneurs, do you have any words of wisdom uh, for, a, for a young CEO, founder, as they're starting their company? What, what are some things that you would say, you, you know, try and, this may not seem self-evident
1: or obvious, but try and pay some attention to this when you first start now? I guess I'd say a couple things, and the the first and most important is, I don't care how many people write business books and act like they had a master plan, most people don't know what the F they're doing (laughs) while they're doing it, and, you know, uh, uh, seek out people who have experience, seek out people who've seen it before, but don't assume that they know the answer. If you've got vision and you've got passion, blend that experience that others can bring with your vision, Uh, and, and, you know, hopefully you're working in a place where you're not going up against sort of such entrenched things, it's impossible for you to get where you're going, and if you are, Uh, stick with your vision. Uh, um, The second is, as I said earlier, seek out as much data as you can, right? You're gonna make better decisions. Mm -hmm. And the third would be, uh, I'm reminded over and over again, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's truer than ever, it's about the people. It's about the people you hire, the culture you build, you will learn from them. They know often, they will know better than you, and there's nothing more rewarding as a leader than when your team comes up with a better solution than you ever would have thought. And so for me, I think if you're watching the data, um, and you don't stress about someone else knowing the answer better than you do, and you, and you get some vision and drive, and you hire the right people, I think good things happen. That's great. Jason, thank you so much for being on Meet the Operators, man. We're yeah, going to have you is. back soon. All right, hang on in. Right. Meet the Operators.